welcome to the Empathic Mastery Show. I'm your host, Jennifer Moore, and I'm so glad you're here. This is a place where we talk about what it means to be highly sensitive and empathic, how this impacts all aspects of our lives, and we explore tools, resources, and solutions so we can shift from absorbing all the thoughts, feelings, and energy of the world around us to being beacons for calm, love, and healing. Hey there, everybody. I'm back with another episode of Empathic Mastery Show. Obviously, this is Jen, your host. And today I've got a really interesting conversation for you with my guest, Carrie Van. Carrie and I connected originally on her podcast where I had the opportunity to be one of her guests. And her show is called Better Than a Pill. Carrie is an entrepreneur exercise physiologist, and holistic movement mentor with 26 plus years of experience, both professionally and personally. She loves to move and she struggled with pain at an early age, which motivated her to find solutions. This led Carrie on a journey and brought her to where she is today. And she is really grateful to be able to share what she learned with others and to help others find a way to integrate movement as a form of self-care. Welcome, Carrie. I'm so glad you're here. Thank you so much, Jennifer. I'm so excited to be here. I am really excited to have you here. I just, when we connected last time, I was just like, let's keep this conversation going. So I always love to start at the beginning with being a sensitive person, being an intuitive person, being an empathic person, you know, having some kind of aspect of a little bit of woo. Where do you fall on that spectrum? Like, how do you identify with that? Did it start for you as a kid or was this something you came into later in life? You know, kind of tell us, tell us about your childhood or wherever the sort of the journey begins for you. I would say that I've never really officially labeled myself as anything, but you know, like we've talked about before, I would say that I definitely feel my feelings and would say that I would be more on the sensitive Mm -hmm, side of mm -hmm. things for sure. Yeah. Yeah. Well, and one of the things that I was actually having a conversation with one of my mentors actually yesterday about the fact that a lot of people do not necessarily identify themselves as intuitive or as an empath. But when they start to go down the laundry list of characteristics that go with it, then they're like, oh, maybe that is actually what I am. So one of the characteristics that seems to be fairly common is that as a child, many of us were told we were too sensitive, that we were overreacting, that we had that we were taking things too personally, that we needed to develop a tougher skin. (laughs) We just needed to suck it up. And so as a sensitive child, was that your experience? I can't say that that really was my experience, but I may have had other experiences where I, I was aware of my feelings at a, at a young age. You know, at age seven, I started to be teased. Right. And so you, you, you carry, I carried that with me, you know, and so you, you develop a level of feeling for people uh, on a different level as you, as you get older. Right. (laughs) Yes. Absolutely. Absolutely. Well, and I think that that 
a whole equation. I mean, that's almost like an entirely an entire podcast. And I just recently had a, did a podcast with my friend Chris Ferraro, whose book "Your Difference Is Your Strength" just came out. That's talking all about bullying and teasing and being um, being seen as an outsider and being seen as an outlier and you know, being, you know, just kind of what it's like to live in that place where you're not quite connecting or fit. Like, it's just your childhood experience is a little different than some other people's experience. So seven years old is pretty young to start being teased. I was, you know, similar age. So. Yeah. And I think that, you know, my heart goes out to my younger self because you just, you don't know. And for for me, unfortunately, I didn't have a safe place to really process those feelings. So, you know, it evolved later on, but I carried that shame for a long time. Yes. Yes. So one of the things I've been realizing is that I think it really impacts our ability to trust ourselves to succeed in the world and to trust ourselves to be able to be safe, to put ourselves out in the world, because you never know what kind of pushback you're going to get, especially if you're really young when you first start getting teased or harassed. And that's not necessarily the direction we were going to go with in this conversation, because you and I are really going to talk about movement and, you know, and self-care and just the journey that you have been on. So, you know, I'm curious about the professional side of it, but I'm especially curious about the personal side of it and what kind of led you into the journey. And I guess I would ask you, do you see any connection for yourself between the teasing, the being really emotional, not necessarily having any emotional outlets or places to express yourself? And I'm imagining the subsequent pain that you started to deal with. Oh, yeah, a hundred percent. And I think for me, Jennifer, it's kind of like my personal story aligns with my professional journey for a reason. You know, it's kind of like that. I've always liked to move. And, you know, my mom put me in a creative movement class at age four because I think she thought I was hyperactive. Mm-hmm. <laughs> you know, I had, I just didn't love to move and it, you know, I love to just be active. And I think that, you know, we are all given certain gifts and I just like to move, right? Yeah. yeah. So, and I think that, you know, by age seven, when the teasing started, I had put on weight and, you know, I was told by a doctor, you need to go on a diet. You need to At eat seven. Less. At seven. Can you believe that? Uh, unfortunately, I can believe that, you know, and so I've got like the part of me that's like, yep, there it is. And then another part of me that's like WTF. You know, if I could go back in time, I'd like to give that doctor a piece of my mind, right? Uh, yeah. <laughs> I'd like to give your doctor a piece of my mind too. <laughs> but yeah, it's, you know, at seven and, and you know, he's like, eat less, exercise, and your blood pressure is high. Well, the reason my blood pressure is high, I was scared to death. You know, I'm, it was white coat syndrome, you know, yeah. Yeah. that's how I look at it. And that it's, it's at that point where my mom made the decision to sign me up for ballet. And, and that was great from the standpoint of movement because I mm-hmm. love to move, you know, I love dancing, but it wasn't a healthy environment. Mm-mm. And it led to unhealthy eating habits and then issues with my feet. 
Oh, oh, yeah. I mean, I um, I tended to do more of the modern dance side of it because the ballet was too rigid. And with, I had a lot of sort of eye-hand coordination issues as a kid and sort of spatial relation issues. And so trying to be so precise and regimented as you have to be with ballet just didn't quite cut it. So I got to do what was called barefoot ballet now in modern dance classes when I was really little. And that fit me much better. I was thinking about something that I've noticed with children is that a lot of times empathic sensitivity and kind of picking up the stuff that's going on in our environment around us tends to manifest in different ways. And I sort of think about it elementally. And so like, I'm immediately like, oh, you were like, like a little fire sensitive, like you were or fire empath, like you were expressing what was coming to you in the world through movement and through, you know, and in some cases through, you know, like some fire empaths will, will express it through acting out and through bad behavior, but a lot of, a lot of sort of people where it's like that more fiery energy movement thing, it's like they, they process the world through their, through the kinetically and through movement and through engaging with the world. Whereas some kids are more earth empaths where it's all, it's all physical issues. It's all like physical pain or it's like digestive issues. Like I've met so many people with highly sensitive children with like IBS and digestive distress because that's how their distress shows up. And then of course, there's the kids who are just like the air empaths or the air sensitives where it's all about thoughts and it's the narrative and it's the perseverating and it's the worrying. And then the water empaths or the water sensitives where it's all about the emotions and the dreams and having nightmares and things like that. And so just hearing you, I'm like, oh, you were, you know, you were like the natural, your natural outlet was movement and kinetic processing like through your body yeah 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 and that's a really you know thinking about that what you just said really just hit me hard because I really just put it together that was an emotional release for me yeah emotionally like yeah 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 I mean somatically <laughs> you're processing all the stuff that there's nobody talking to you about it nobody's like you said you didn't have any outlet it, at least any conscious outlet or place where you could discuss it, it makes complete sense that you would like process that information through your body. Yeah. yeah. And I think like that, that's a healthy part of it right there. Right. Like, you know, <laughs> right, right, right. Of course, the, I have to exercise in order to lose weight side of it, the, that part of it. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> Not so healthy. No. <laughs> not so healthy yeah. not at all and yeah. um you mentioned rigid you know being rigid for a hundred percent unhealthy yeah. rigid you know comparing yourself to others trying to live up to these expectations that are just not realistic pushing your body to extremes somebody else's idea of you know what you should be conforming and then topping it off with pain and so like fast forward my sophomore year in college I my feet had had enough mm. you know I've been seeing lots of different doctors and I realized that you know after you know seeing one doctor that I was missing two joints one in each foot and it was like okay so now I have to stop dancing and so I had to quit something that had been an outlet for me oh that I love goodness and so was, did you, was it a congenital birth defect? Like, were you just missing a joint or was it that you 
that the joints disintegrated and you just didn't have them at, from the dancing. It was interesting that it was congenital. And mm-hmm. a lot of times, like you'll see that, I guess what, you know, in an, in an athlete or somebody like myself that was really pushing the limit, like I was pushing the limit with, you know, being on toe shoes and things that I should, mechanically couldn't, shouldn't have been doing. And so then my feet just had a threshold and that's when we're trying to figure out all the muscular stuff and then, oh, the joints. Oh, there we go. <laughs> wow. Wow. I, toe shoes as a whole, I mean, whoever, like what ad genius came up with this idea? It's like the heart. I mean, it's like, it's like, it's like the European version of, and, and Western civilization version of foot binding. It is, it is so insane what it does to women's or to people's feet. But I don't know if male dancers ever wear toe shoes. I think it's only ballerinas that do. Right. But, and then the other thing is that I know from having friends who like uh, didn't have the right body for ballet, that's the other, the standard, like the, the incredibly precise, rigid standard of like the type of body that's allowed to be a ballerina uh, you know, it's like all the little girls can do it, but then you get to a certain age and suddenly it's like, if you develop breasts or you develop hips and, you know, or you don't grow tall enough and all of a sudden it's like, you don't have the body type for this. It's exactly. Uh, it's oh a yeah. Brutal business. Very, very, very unhealthy. Yeah. 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 So all of a sudden you've had this outlet that has been supporting you and allowing you to like probably get some emotional relief and suddenly the rug is just pulled out from under you. So what happened next? Well, definitely uh, sadness, great sadness there in feeling that. And, and so what it led me to though, thank goodness was to be proactive about finding mm-hmm. solutions. Like I, I knew I needed to experience freedom of movement. And so that's what I did. You know, I just kind of sought out on a personal, you know, journey and then got, you know, professional experience along the way, all that, you know, training in this, you know, that's what happened. (laughs) Yeah. Yes. For many of us, it definitely is what happens. And so did you find yourself moving from like the quote modality unquote of ballet to a different modality like yoga or Pilates or you know, some kind, or like, I don't know, like authentic, what is it called? Authentic movement? Or I'm just trying to think, contact improv. That's another one. Like, did you do something like that? Or was it more, I don't know, kind of like organic? Oh, wow. So it was kind of evolving for me. So, so I, I am very um, analytical as well. Mm -hmm. So I like to study, I want to learn. So I got, I got, the degrees in exercise physiology and, and, you know, spend time in different medical centers, University of Pittsburgh, um, Maryland and the Duke Medical Center. But yes, I had a lot of comprehensive training in, in, in numerous movement modalities. And I would say that I did do training in yoga, Hatha yoga, I've done restorative work, I've done work with Pilates, aquatics, all those things. And, and I really spent a, a lot of additional time, I would say, in the two areas of aquatics and Pilates, particularly. Mm-hmm. And you say, you know, did you know, like before the ballet dropped out, like the, I don't know, the floor dropped out on you in ballet, did you, were you already pursuing exercise and, and movement and going into physiology? So I was a dance minor mm-hmm. and my major that I had chosen 
was exercise physiology because it it fascinated me to you know I wanted to learn more about that. And so I went down that road and then you know when it comes to your feet you know when if anybody out there has suffered with you know a foot injury or foot pain or stuff it takes you out of the game for a lot of things. Yes. Um it does, right? So yeah. you have, you're like all right where do I go? So the water that's one of the reasons I immediately got into that water. And I was, I love water, thank the Lord. And being in there just brought such great joy, right? And so, you know, swimming is one thing, but being able to understand that, guess what? There's a lot of ways we can move in this place. You know, that was exciting, right? And, uh, you know, (laughs) it really is. And so I pursued those kind of things, the things that um, were obtainable in that, you know, you could do even with injury and so forth. Yeah. Well, and you just said something that made me think about, you know, talking about that idea of the way, you know, thinking in terms of the elements and how I was saying that a lot of times like movement is kind of a fire action. My friend and colleague Chase Young, who wrote this book, Mommy Rebellion, and I have had conversations about how you can kind of peg these behaviors with children and the and often the antidote for a fire empath is water. And so when there's excess of fire and too much of that fire, one of the things that seems to really help them chill is to put them in water. And so I'm just like, here we are, that the solution you found was water. Yeah, that's really cool. Isn't that cool? (laughs) Like, I'm like, wait a second, full circle here here we are. I also really, you know, I don't think as a culture, we talk about feet nearly enough. And I have been very, very blessed, aside from the occasional women of a certain age foot cramps that can inevitably, you know, that seem to be somewhat inevitable. I've been very, very fortunate, but I know people who've experienced like plantar fasciitis, um, some people who've been dealing with like gout attacks. And I've certainly heard, as well as people with flat feet, and just all of the different ways that when your feet are not working the way they should, mm-hmm. how much of a get, like how much it really takes you out. I'm wondering also from kind of more of a metaphysical standpoint or a woo standpoint, our feet are our grounding agents. You know, they're what keeps us connected to the earth and what grounds us and keeps us sort of like from floating off or spinning out. And I'm wondering if without the outlet of dance and with before you found the water and with your feet really sort of taking you out of the game, how did that impact you? Like, what did it do to you mentally, physically, emotionally, spirit, you know, energetically? Act to you know behaviorally, like how did it affect you? So the feet thing affected my whole world because yeah. I had to wear special braces. They're UCBLs, which you could only wear in a hiking boot. And so, you know, it was like okay, so I am going to wear these hiking boots. And so at the time, you know, it was just like you know I just had to learn to to adapt to that. And I was on a college campus, so it wasn't as bad. But yeah, so there are totally emotions and fear around my feet that I had to work through. And that was a process, a total process that evolved over time through my getting better understanding of what was going on and the things that I could do to really help my feet. 
which took many years to get to that point and actually have suffered um, with chronic plantar fasciitis and grateful today that that's not the case because there are many things that I learned that we can do to even maintain our own fascia, right? And so so the journey's been really worthwhile, but not easy. <laughs> the, the To the feet. So you said two things that I'm just like, I want to draw out. You commented, I mean, in some ways, it's like you talked about the emotional side of it and the physical side of it. And I'd really love to hear first about the emotional side and then about, you know, as you literally said, there's things that we can do to maintain our fascia. There's things we can do to help our feet. I'd love to unpack that some more. But before we do that, I'd love to talk about, you know, what did you do? How did, obviously, as you said, there was a lot of emotion, you know, stored, a lot of emotional stuff stored in, in, in maybe in your feet, about your feet, around your feet. What did processing look like for you? How did you do that? Well, thank goodness I was able to move now that I understand that I might be a fire empath. Yeah. <laughs> and and so I did. And before I even got in the water. So I did process that a lot through movement. And that would be on joint friendly type activities. And that's a big thing of, you know, who, who I bring into my world today. So like we all need to move, right? Mm -hmm. So that would be things like a bike or a rower or you know, obviously the water, you know, it was, a, it was a great place. And then it led me to to other ways to do that. So movement was one way for me to to handle a lot of those emotions. And I think that the fear came from just not knowing or understanding exactly what was going on with the pain, would it go away? What would make it worse? Yes. Just of that, yeah, that whole thing around it, you know, like kind of finding those those areas of like what were my parameters to work with. <laughs> yes. Yes. I recently had an experience where I try to make this, you know, long story short, I was doing, I had started a new protocol and I ended up experiencing what I thought was gallbladder pain and the gallbladder, you know, and once I experienced it, I noticed myself like that feeling of like, like, should I be scared? Should I do something to do an intervention on this? Can I like, what's going to cause more, what's going to exacerbate it versus what's going to help it. And there's just all this emotional stuff around it. Then again, trying to make this, you know, long story short, I discovered, or it turned out that it was actually a shingles outbreak <laughs> and that essentially my body doing a detox, like doing this viral detox. And, um, once I understood that I was able to relax because I understood like it didn't have the same parameters and there wasn't necessarily the same, like, oh my God, this feeling is really uncomfortable. Does that mean I'm causing more harm to myself? Once it was like, no, you're just experiencing nerve pain and discomfort. And it was like, okay, I can relax about this. And I, I know it's slightly parallel, like it's not exactly like maybe this is apples to oranges, but it just strikes me that what I'm hearing you talk about is that stage of learning what's going on with your body where you don't know what's going to cause, what's going to help it and what's going to hurt it. And mm -hmm. that's scary. Yeah. 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 It, it's a very scary zone. And I know working with people in this similar situation is it, there's so much value in understanding what's going on yeah, and then, you know, understanding what we need to avoid and what, you know, what's good for us. And, and the, the good news is there's so many options. You know, <laughs> yes, yes, 
Yes. Yeah. So I have another question for you that is coming up for me. I'll just let you know what it is, but I want to go into things we can do to help our feet, things we can do to maintain our fascia. But I do want to say, I'd love to talk also about, I think, a fairly widespread phenomenon in this this world, in our civilization, around resistance to movement, around, you know, all of the bullying, all or all of the shaming that happens for people whose bodies don't function quite the way they should or who are lousy at sports. And then some of the baggage that I think tends to carry forward into adulthood. So tell, you know, so I'd love to talk about resistance to movement because I know that's something that, that I I'd love to hear about. Uh, But before we go into that, let's talk about things we can do to help our feet. Okay. Yeah. I'd love to tell you. So when it comes to the feet, I'm a big fan of supportive shoes. I am. And and that's just been based on my own experience. And I know there are a lot of different schools of thoughts out there, but I okay, get to tell somebody if I didn't have a supportive shoe as my line of defense and I'm walking, then that could cause a lot of problems for my feet. And I've seen that with a lot of other people. So, you know, going at that, that line of defense first and then an orth- orthotic, if you're still having some issues, can be really helpful and they can be challenging sometimes to find the right um, fit. I have a collection that I've gone through, starting with those braces. I was able to graduate to an orthotic and through my work and stuff. And then it's actually taking off our shoes and knowing our feet and understanding them and working with them. So that's the heel, the arch, the ball of the foot, the, our toes. Working, we can work that fascia just like um, in fascia, just just to make, you know, if somebody doesn't know what that is, it's just like the stuff that covers your muscle that can form adhesions. And so that can be, it can be really helpful for us to, and empowering for us to be able to manage our own fascia, right? And we can do things. We don't have to always run out to get body work done. Like, And that would be an, an example of somebody working the fascia, right? Like a massage therapist or something, which I love, right? But in between those times, like for the feet example, you know, right there, we can work the, the fascia and maintain it. And then, you know, range of motion, stretching around the, the ankle joints, important. And, you know... Walking is a strengthening ex- exercise in and of itself. So when we are, you know, moving our, our feet are right, you know, we're we're connecting to that, then we can gain strength. And I think that, you know, what I have found too is that you start there, and there's most people are fine just with that. In worst case scenarios, you may need to start like activating. There may be weakness in like certain parts of your toes. Like for me, it was like the pinky toe, the ring toe. They weren't as active as the big toe. <laughs> oh yeah, you know. Yeah, thinking about our, our little toes, they're important. And then, like making those neurologic connections between like activating those little toes goes a long way. And just you know how you're standing, and then how you're walking, and then just kind of keeping that that connection. I find I have to do that myself. And when I do get discomfort, I need to check in with that. And I will say strengthening work, like even like we're, you know, a physical therapist would give you for your ankle, which I've done all the, you know, protocols are, it's really important. And I, mm-hmm. and I teach that today, like all the therapy and work, strengthen our ankles, all that stuff, balance is, is key. So it's like a combination of things. I yeah. think that yeah. 
is really important. <laughs> so I've got, so I have like, so your answer has given me a bunch of additional questions that I actually want to ask from these things. And, and I'll just say, I just realized I had very wide feet as a child. I was like a double or triple E. And so my baby toes, my feet, my, my, the lat, my baby toes got squished. And so I'm just really aware of how they kind of are more dormant than any other toes in my feet because of the way they got smushed. And I'm just thinking, oh, what would it be like to actually tune into them? So can we talk about how do you define a supportive shoe? What is a supportive shoe? Maybe also what is not a supportive shoe? What would you not recommend? What kind of footwear is like, please don't go there. And then, you know, like if you're comfortable talking about brands of shoes that you're, that you find useful, that'd be great. I mean, obviously this is not, you know, we're, this is not a commercial enterprise, so we're not getting any benefit from you talking about shoes, but I'd really love to hear, like, that's such a big thing. Like, how do we even go about finding supportive shoes and what are supportive shoes and what do they look like? Yeah, I'd love to tell you. And I, and I yeah. think that the the thing is, is that they're not always cute and they're not right. what that people want us to put on our feet. And so I don't care. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> so Brooks is a great tennis shoe. A tennis shoe is a wonderful, supportive shoe. Brooks mm-hmm. brand that I love. And I always recommend that people if they've never tried the brand, get fitted somewhere, go to a shoe store and get fitted because we all can be different. And some of us might need a neutral stabilizer, a wider, you know, depending on if we supinate or pronate or like our, for example, our arches are collapsed or not, or we have flat feet. So that really matters. So you want to get fitted for a shoe that works for you. Brooks is a great brand. I love them. I've been using them for for years and there are many options. I know a lot of people I work with, use them too. Other brands that people have had success with would be like a Saucony or Asics or possibly some new balance. But again, you want to make sure you're getting fitted. Um, Brooks would be my number one choice. And and I'm not even in, in partnership with their company, but I can, I should be. <laughs> mm-hmm, mm-hmm, mm-hmm. You know? Um, so, and then when it comes to, let's say if you have to wear a dress shoe like for Christmas or whatever it is, I'm just saying like going out. Or Clark's, like a business shoe. If somebody yeah. was working in a corporate world where sneakers are just not acceptable. Sure. I would yeah. say Clark's. Um, Clark's is a good brand. Um, I have a... One spun- of my favorite pairs of cl- shoes is a pair of Clark's. Yeah. 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 No, I love yeah. Clark's. Um, not something that you want to do a lot of repetitive movement in like myself included, but you can get away with them for a short period of time. I will say there are companies that exist out there in partnership with certain physical therapists and maybe um, orthotists where they can install a built-in orthotic into a sandal. This is, I, And I've had custom-made um, sandals done that way because you'll get that additional support you need. Because in the summer, if you do want to wear a sandal around and you want a little support, then you can do that. But, you know, typically... Majority of people do need more arch support, I find. So, you know, something that's comfortable like that, um, that works for you. You may be able to get away with like um, UFOs, O-O-F-O-S, like a, a slip-on clog or that gives you like for an indoor shoe, some people may, that may work for. Oh, I recently, I got to tell you, my, in, so I'm a big, I wear shoes indoors now because my I feet, do too. running up and down the stairs, I started to experience problems again. 
Mm-hmm. And I'm looking because I forget the name. Oh my gosh. But yeah, there is a, oh gosh, there is a company. Uh, I hope I, if I can remember their name, uh, that is wonderful. And I can't remember the name right now. Maybe it will come to me, but I like it because it's an indoor shoe that you can slip an orthotic into. So yeah, so nice. there's a lot of different options out there. Yeah, yeah, obvious. yeah. I personally wore um, Dansko's and Sunita clogs for many, many, many years. And I know a lot of people in the healthcare industry tend to wear Dansko's um, yeah. and people in the restaurant industries because you're on your feet a lot. And I, when I was working um, on my feet a lot more, I found that the support that was coming from the Dansko clogs was really amazing, really helpful. However, I will say Dansko, my understanding is that the formulation of the Dansko shoes changed when Sunita actually bought the original patterns for from Dansko. And so if you are like an old Dansko wearer and you're like, these don't feel the same anymore, it's because they changed. And if you want the a more like hard, rigid, supportive clog, old school clog, it's Sunita's now that will do that. So, you know, but what about clogs? You know, they, I mean, obviously they're a lot more rigid than an athletic shoe. Yeah, I think they totally can work for some people. And yeah. I've worn them myself in the past. It's just finding that what works for you and, and finding your your threshold with how long you can wear them and, and that whole thing. Like I have a couple, I have a dance code that I'll slip on to go out occasionally, you know, but yeah, so, so that's where I think that it's important, you know, from the standpoint of, you know, wanting to feel good and look good that we have those options too, yes. right? Yes. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. And thankfully, thankfully, we have more options that give us arch support and give us give our, our feet support without looking like you're wearing like, you know, shoes that your great grandmother was wearing those hideous like mushroom color lace up shoes you know, that just look like you just came out of a convent. So oh, and, uh, Merrill's, that's another one. Oh, you never- Merrill's, oh. love Merrill's, lived yes. in Merrill's. And when they used to have, they had a, a whole a line of fur-lined clogs for a period of time. And mm-hmm. it was just like, I lived in fur-lined clogs for years. And mm-hmm. interestingly, versus Uggs, which have no arch support whatsoever. Oh, exactly. Terrible. Yeah. 100%. Yeah. Yeah. And as, as I've aged, I've definitely noticed a difference between the kinds of shoes that give my feet support versus like Uggs are like glorified slippers. I love them when I'm cold in the winter, but I find I cannot wear them like a shoe for a long period of time. Yeah. Um, yeah. Oh my goodness. I had another question regarding shoes and I'm just thinking, oh yes. My next question regarding shoes, and this may be, how much wear can a pair of shoes get? Like, what are the things we want to look for, you know, in order to be like, okay, I need to toss this pair of shoes. Yeah, always definitely check the bottom. If you're not wearing a shoe a lot or walking in it, then you might be okay for quite some time, right? Mm -hmm. But let's say for a tennis shoe, for example, if you are walking a lot, then I would say it can range anywhere from three months to six months in my experience. Yeah, I know. And so most of us are keeping our shoes way longer and we need newer shows. Here's what you do. This is really cool. Go to a shoe store, bring your current shoe and then put on the new shoe and feel the difference. And it's like, oh my gosh, this is what I need. 
and I should have done this like three months ago, but I forgot, you know, that, that it's so important. Yeah. So keeping up with that, making the feet a priority is something that I encourage everybody to do. Your feet are worth it. Your feet are worth it. Oh my goodness. Well, and, and from kind of more of that metaphysical standpoint, if our feet are in pain, our feet are not getting supported, then it's going to really affect our ability to be grounded. And that is going to affect our ability not only to sort of stay tethered to the earth and connected to the earth and balanced and grounded and just like energized from it, but also grounding allows us to release the stuff that isn't serving us, to release the stuff that is not ours, to let things go. And if we're experiencing all kinds of pain in our feet, we're not going to be able to release things through our feet the way that we're supposed to. I mean, now people are talking about the earthing movement and just how important it is to be connected to the earth. But I'm just thinking there are so many reasons beyond just even our capacity to move and our physical comfort, why we want to make our feet a priority. Oh yeah, I agree hundred percent. So the next question I had for you was you mentioned like basically sort of engage with and work with the fascia in your feet. Obviously you were saying massage therapist, But not, you know, I mean, we can't go to a massage therapist all the time, every day. Are you talking about like massaging your feet, rolling your feet on a tennis ball? Like what kinds of, what do you do? What do we do? Like, so I want to get, I want to have a relationship with a fascia in my feet. Carrie, (laughs) tell me what to, what should I do? Okay. So definitely the best, like to start, like in the most affordable way would be to get a tennis ball and roll it and then to progress to a golf ball. And I think that may have been how I even started. But then I was doing work at a body therapy institute near my home. And I took some courses from a woman that developed um, a product, which I loved called the Foot Waker. And later I ended up flying out to work with her privately when my feet got bad. And so I use her her foot fascia um, device because I love it. It's just a stationary piece of equipment that you can step on and really work the feet. Mm. Um, so yes. <laughs> nice. And uh, if you, I mean, if, if you have a link for that, we can absolutely add that to the show notes. And if you if you have an affiliate link for it, we can absolutely add that to the show notes. So sure. you, know, you can, you and I can, because obviously if something is a wonderful thing, that's great. But so with the starting with the tennis ball and then moving to the golf ball, how long, like, is this uh you should be, you know, do you work your way up? Like how long would you be working with like any given point, like five minutes, 15 minutes, a minute, how many times a week, how many times a day? Yeah. So what I'm really good at is taking the work that I learned and simplifying it to make it um, really achievable in our daily life because that's what I had to do. So yeah. you can spend like three to five minutes. And as long as you're doing it regularly, start with your heels, go to the arch, go to the ball of the foot, get some toe flexion in there, work on stretching the Achilles, and then do some basic mobility stretches. And you're you're good to go from the standpoint of maintaining your fascia. And it doesn't take long. And the best time to do it is just do it. But the best time might be after walking. It's just creating the habit around it. And then your feet begin to appreciate that. And then you crave that. And then it becomes a habit because you know that it works. And it Mm -hmm. does. (laughs) Mm -hmm. And so when you say not very long, are we talking like five minutes? 10 minutes? 
Yeah. Yeah. And you could spend way longer. I mean, you could spend hours on your feet, which, you know, which is fine if you wanted to, but I don't have the time to do that. Mm -hmm. And a lot of people don't, but I do have time to make five minutes for my feet each day or less. It may may not even take five minutes. Honestly, it, it could take I'm, that may be pushing it. It could be anywhere from one to five minutes, right? Yeah. Going through awesome. the process. And here's the thing. I noticed that the more you work your fashion in general, no matter where it is in the body, the less time you have to spend on it when you do it regularly. Mm. And really, you may need to spend more time. And I will mm-hmm. just point that out there to people. When you've never worked the fashion before and you start to work it, the first thing, and you may have to start sitting in a chair by the way, because it may be like, oh my gosh, this is excruciatingly painful. We'll come to a chair and try it, right? Because um, it's like, you need this, you know? <laughs> mm-hmm, and that, mm-hmm. I, you, know, you talk about grounding right there. To me, that's grounding because we are grounding through the heel, which grounds yes. us, right? Instead yes. of, and that ball of the foot, which is where we want to push off from, right? But yes. that heel, then we start with the heel, right? And we work that whole line. And I think that, and I don't know as much as you do about this, but I'm sure there's energetic freedom in doing the, the fascia yeah. work as well. Well, and yeah. I'm actually, as you're speaking, I'm realizing I am literally sitting here. I'm very aware of my feet as we're having this conversation. And what I'm noticing is that I'm resting my feet. Like my my heels are 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 literally up. They're like hovering to about a half inch above the ground. And my toes, it's like it's the front of my feet that are on the floor. And if our heels are really the way that we ground, like if the heels are the way we really are grounded, just thinking about the phenomenon of high heel shoes for women. And like, what does this mean is that you have this entire gender of people or many dominant, like majority of the gender of of, of one gender ungrounded because by the nature of our shoes, our heels are never touching the earth. It's just our our toes, like we're kind of perched forward or pitched forward. And I'm just thinking, oh my goodness, that keeps us from being grounded. So really, I'm I'm really hearing like, pay attention to your heels. Let yeah. feel your heels on the floor. Because I will often lead meditations where I'll suggest, you know, feel your feet on the floor. But I'm actually thinking, feel your heels on the floor. Feel your toes on the floor. Uh, you know, feel your, you know, feel the surfaces of your feet on the floor or something. So I'm yeah. having these. Who would have thought a conversation about feet could be so powerful and profound? So you know, I want to so I, so I, we have we're getting to that point, huh? I was gonna say one last thing. If you yes, look please. at how someone's standing, right? And if they're yes. leaning forward, they're not anchoring into their heels. And I can always pick that up right away now, right? You can yeah. see because I w- I've been there. So yeah. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Well, and it's like how unbalanced and uncentered are we if we are not anchored into our heel? And right. yet for, I mean, I don't even know how many hundreds of years have women's feet and bodies been pitched forward so that we are literally out of balance all the time. And just like, I mean, I'm just thinking of the emotional, not just the physiological ramifications, but the energetic, the emotional, sort of the spiritual ramifications of what does it mean to be constant, to not be in your core and to not be, and to be constantly just sort of like pitched forward and off balance. 
So we are not at the, oh my goodness, Carrie, I can't believe how much time has gone by yet, but we're getting there. And I wanted to be absolutely sure to talk about the resistance to movement because I'm I'm imagining you run into this with a lot of people. I know for myself that I came from a fairly sedentary family where, I mean, my father was a much more kinetic person. He just was always running around doing things. Like we jokingly called him the energizer bunny because he was just constantly like, if if we were at dinner, as soon as he finished eating, he was hovering over everybody else and like, are you done with that? Like he'd be grabbing the plates and then going immediately washing them. So he was actually fairly active, but my mom, who was more of my role model, she was not really into sports. She wasn't into exercise. She wasn't into dance. She wasn't really into movement. She liked to garden, which is a fairly sedentary activity. Um, and interestingly, she was also, I do not of my mother's body type. My mother, you know, like I think she, the like post-pregnancy weight, probably she's probably weighed no more than 135 pounds at the absolute outside in her entire life. And my mother normally weighs about, you know, between 110 and I mean, 105 and 115 pounds. Like my mother is a little, little person. So weight was never an issue with movement for her. Um, but she was quite sedentary. And as a result, like we did not necessarily have that kind of a role model in our family. And then for me, there was also, I sucked at sports. So I got a lot of like a lot of ridicule for mm -hmm. not being good at it. I'm imagining I'm not the only one here. I'd love to hear about resistance to movement. Yeah. So, cause movement can take so many realms here. Right. And yeah. it, and I tend to attract two types of people into my world. Somebody that is more sedentary, that doesn't have an exercise. And then somebody that is maybe a past athlete or over exerciser. Right. And yes. so I tend to think somebody that, that has resistance to movement possibly is in a better place because you can start from scratch. And actually most of us need to learn to unexercise. to mm -hmm. be honest with you. Yeah. That's what I found to be true for myself, but it was harder for me because I was a mover to, it took two car wrecks to slow me down enough. And, and that was kind of God's way of getting my attention to be like, okay, you need to, to do things differently than you've been doing them. And that's kind of where that unexercising philosophy begin to set in. And, and what I did was I learned to basically unlearn and unwind all the things I learned about exercise in the past, <laughs> you know, not push through pain. That's not a good thing. Connect your mind to your body through breath. And, and that's so important. And that leads to so many things, enhance concentration, focus, uh, building a, a firm foundation for our bodies. We all need that will support all of its movement. And we have to slow down in order to achieve that by doing these things, or we're going to have to come back to it. That was what I found to be true. And then, you know, when we begin to shift our focus and look at movement as a form of nourishment, almost like a mindful medicine for our body to help you feel better. So you can enjoy the activities of, of life you know, our, it, it shifts our view and, and viewing it as a holistic approach, taking into account the whole person. Um, I always like to know like what you did like. It doesn't have to be sports. I don't like sports. I get mm -hmm. that. It's been that you like dancing in the past or you did something that, and, you know, and I find that like, one of the pillars of pain-free movement that I integrate, because there are several, but one is therapeutic Pilates because of that. 
And, and it's like, it gives us the freedom of movement in a different way, a very different way. It's like more, I would say, Jennifer, it's more like movement therapy. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. (laughs) So I think that when somebody experiences movement and it begins to make them feel good and they see that, that resistance begins to shift. And most people don't come to that just because they run to it. A lot of times they come to it because there's a red flag indicator that they need to change their ways. Yes, absolutely. Absolutely. (laughs) Especially as adults. (laughs) We're almost always motivated by the, oh, if I don't do something about this, I'm going to be really screwed. (laughs) Not exactly just the future. Yeah. Yeah, 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 yeah. 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 Well, and you've you said a few things that really feel important to me that really feel like like an essential part of the conversation. One is just the idea of unexercise. Like, I mean, my inner child is like, <laughs> because, you know, it was just, oh God, like the drudgery of exercise and sports and trying to force my body to do things that it just didn't want to do or it just couldn't do. You know, it's like the, the, like, what a wonderful idea that it could, doesn't have to be that way. And then the other thing you pulled out is slowing down. Like, because I think we also live in this myth. I mean, especially with hustle culture that seems to have taken it, no pain, no gain, um, productivity, do, 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 10x every single, you know, every single year, every single month. Like, I think it's infiltrated practically everything that kind of has this idea that faster is better. And so I'd love to hear more about, I mean, you know, what does unexercise look like and how do we slow down? Yeah, I'll tell you what, I'd love to tell you. So like, you know, honestly, it can start with stretching. Mm. Wonderful place to begin. And I think that that allows us to pay attention and connect to our own bodies. And there's so much power in taking time to stretch. It's so not really enforced or included in mainstream fitness. And it's a very important part of living pain-free, managing pain, preventing injury. So stretching is one piece. And then for me, therapeutic Pilates is another piece because I found that that gets movements of our spine in that our spine is essential to all of our movement. And it's so important. There's so much going on there. So we begin to get movements that help free up our spine. In addition to connecting to the muscles that stabilize our body, like pelvic floor, ribcage, shoulder stability, all the things that build stability and, you know, the the really strong, you know, we talk about core strength, but this goes, this is, you know, we can, I'm talking about deep muscles that we need to use our breath that we're not really willing to do on our own. I know I wasn't. And I, mm-hmm. that was the problem. I was like teaching and maybe I was a young instructor, like seven years in compensating in all these movements, but not getting, and I had a strong core from the outside, mm-hmm. but not the right muscles were activating. So if we can go deep slow down and activate those muscles, the things that are going to support us, get those ignited. And then we can build upon many, many, many aspects of our core strength, many aspects of whole body strength, but we got to slow down and start there. And there are slow, subtle, controlled movements. That's where we build control in our bodies. 
And I got so excited about that when I found that out. And I just wanted to like, you know, that's all I wanted to teach. That's all I could teach for a while. It's like, there are so many um, instructors out there compensating. You know, people that have even been doing Pilates for 13 to 15 years or whatever it is, they're not not there, you know? <laughs> so it's so important and overlooked. And, you know, we talked about the, um, I get excited about this stuff. I'm sorry. you know. <laughs> but, um, you know, the fascia release, that's an exercise right there. Okay. That's a huge exercise. And, you know, yes, I will say it is important to get strengthened. We evolve to these things and keep our body strong, especially as we get older, yes, because it's our best line of defense for maintaining our bone health, our metabolism, all the things that we need. And then for our hearts, yes, our heart health, we need to just move. And I, you know, you know, I don't like to use the term cardiovascular exercise. Mm-hmm. I don't. And I've, and I've worked in cardiac rehab. I've studied that. What it boils down to is we just need to move. That's it. I don't care if you're moving around your house. And you got 10,000 steps in, or if you did t- 10 minutes matters, by the way, if you take a walk, that makes a huge difference. And it's good for anxiety, depression, you know, all these things, all of those things, eventually we we incorporate, um, but we start with the basics. And typically that's the stretching, connecting to the stabilizing muscles and a little bit of fascia release. We don't mm. do it all, right? But that's, right. that's kind of... Right, right. If somebody was, and this is the point where I say, oh my goodness, Carrie, I can't believe how fast the time has gone by, but I do want to um, ask one more question before we do, we go, we, we sort of wrap up. And that is if somebody was just getting started, if somebody lived in a region where maybe they were in a remote area where getting access to other people might be a little bit different, or they're on a really limited budget. What suggestions would you have about ways to start? Yeah. Or ways to support ourselves? The first thing would be to just, if you're not moving, you just want to begin to move a little bit. Okay. So, so that would be, so one, one suggestion that I would have. And cause that, that's achievable. And that's just being aware of getting in movement because it's, it's really important. Stretching can be done anywhere. You can use your bed, right? Mm-hmm, and, mm-hmm. and and there's a lot of things that you can do on your back, lying down, which I think is a wonderful place to start to connect to your own body and begin to to check in with. And so, you know, there are definitely stretches that you can do that you can check in for your hips, your legs, your arms, all those things and learn about where you're holding tension. I think that's the most important piece because when you aren't holding tension in an area, it might be still important to check in there, mm-hmm. but you you don't have to hold it, right? And we're always changing and things like that. So like if you go into a stretch and you are holding tension, then you can begin to use your breath to release that tension. And a lot of times it's hard for people to sense that at first. And so it may, well, I always recommend this and I'll, and I'll share this with you is it's wise to go into a stretch, come out of it and go back into it again, at least one more time, if not more, because then you'll see, do I feel improvement? And that's when you know that you have released tension in the muscles. And that's where you're going to have benefit for your body. 
I'm just processing and and hearing what you're saying. And even just that piece of that, that last piece of advice of, you know, go out of, you know, go into the stretch, come back out of the stretch, and then go back into it just to notice the difference or just to compare and understand that. I'm also really hearing in everything that you're saying that it doesn't have to be perfect as much as it just needs to happen. And a little bit is better than none. So, you know, even like if you can get out and like, I, you know, get a 10 minute walk in, that's going to make a big difference as opposed to just kind of sitting there and watching Netflix. So Carrie, at this point, we are at that, you know, we are at the, that, that like just before we're ending Mark. And so I always want to ask those three questions. The first one is, what else feels really important for you to share? What have we not, you know, what, what do you want to be sure that the audience hears? That there is a different way to do things. And that if you've had resistance to movement or, you know, you've not want to move in the past that, you know, hopefully what I said maybe resonated a little bit with you is that you're in a good place. <laughs> it's it's learning to connect with your own body. That's that's where you live. Yeah. And and that's yeah. your home. Yeah. And then keep it simple. Keep it so simple and just embrace that and then use it and you'll feel a difference. Yeah. Yeah. I actually one other question that came to my mind is that you know, when we are I think that so often one of the resistance to movement is pain. And you had made the comment about, you know, don't, don't ignore the pain. And yet I'm also imagining, as you were saying, like working the fascia, it can be very uncomfortable. How do we distinguish between that pain that is uncomfortable, but is the process to get to the other side of it versus the pain that's like, I should not be doing this right now? Yes. And I think it's specific to the, the, what you're doing at the time. So for example, if you're stretching, you don't want to go to the point of any pain or discomfort, right? Mm -hmm. You want to feel a slight, like light, light amount of tension. That's, that's, that would, when it comes to working your fascia. So you, you're going to feel that. And there may be some discomfort is what I would say that can feel like pain. If it feels like a 10, like, oh my gosh, let's say you're working your feet then get get off and back down and take it down a notch because you want to be like maybe at about, I don't know, let's say 10 being like, oh my gosh, this is excruciating pain. Sometimes being at a seven is okay mm -hmm. for that. And, and that's not necessarily a bad thing when it comes to working your fascia, fascia because as you breathe, you'll notice that that can begin to subside over mm -hmm. time. And, mm -hmm. that, and that's, that's something to, to take into account. You never really want to have pain with movement. So when you're finding overall movement, you want to find activities that are good for you. Like if walking doesn't feel right, go to the water, freedom there. Like, you know, I love the water. So I don't run. I don't do, do things like that, but I can run in the deep water, right? It might be swimming. It could be biking joint, you know, joint friend, something joint friendly that is going to be okay with the knees, the hips, the feet, the back. Okay. That's important. Yeah. Honor those things. Listen to those things. Don't ignore them. And, you know, when it comes to like strength or all that other stuff, no, you don't push through pain. No, 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 no. 
you don't, you don't push through pain. And so that's important to know too. Thank you for clarifying. Okay. So the next thing that we're going to do right now, I told you about this before, and I do this at the end of every episode is we're going to do a little bit of time travel and we're going to send a message back to a Carrie who needs, needs some encouragement, who needs to hear something. And I always like to explain it as like, I think of podcasts as existing outside of time. They exist in perpetuity. This will be on servers for a really long time. People will be listening to this from year, years from now. And I sort of think of the broadcast as being like a stone that we're dropping into the river of time, it ripples forward and it ripples back. And so what I want to imagine is that you and I are going back to a moment in time where younger Carrie really needs a message from you. And so where are we going? And what exactly are you telling her? And this is not, I will tell her this, but like speak directly to her, like we're going to broadcast to her. So who is the Carrie we're going back to? How old is she? Where is she? And tell her what she needs to hear. Oh, so I think that the, the, the feet are on my mind. And so it would be that young girl that feet, my feet gave out. And, and I'm just, because we've been talking about thinking about, you know, even like going back to when I was in college and just saying that it's going to be okay. You're going to find solutions to this. This isn't the end. And, you know, just knowing that and having that peace of mind at the time, you know, would, would have been really encouraging, <laughs> you know, because traveling through the process can be hard sometimes, right? Yeah. So just knowing that there's going to be light at the end of the tunnel would, would be what I would tell her. Hang on. <laughs> Hang on. There's light at the end of the tunnel. There are solutions. There are answers. And I'll add another piece for her. And even though this is awful right now, and this may feel like it totally sucks, this is actually going to be this is this is the key that's opening the door to your future. This is what is going to lead your this is going to change your entire life in a good way. Yeah, thank you yeah. Jennifer. So, last question, how do we get in touch with you? Oh, well you can always go to my website which is the word movement and the word craft movementcraft.com or you can email me at Carrie at movementcraft.com. Excellent. Yeah. Excellent. And also you can listen to Carrie's podcast, Better Than a Pill, which I'm imagining is on all of the major platforms. Yes, it is. Yeah. Absolutely. A hundred percent. Yeah. So check out Better Than a Pill. Go over to movementcraft.com. Tell Carrie I sent you. And uh, thank you so much for sharing your story for and just remind, I mean, I feel more inspired, like, oh, movement can be delicious. Movement can be medicine. Movement can be just nice, you know, like, like it doesn't have to be all the things that, that all the emotional baggage from like bad gym classes, <laughs> it can be good. Yeah. Oh yeah. A hundred percent. Thank you so much for having me too, Jennifer. <laughs> oh, my pleasure. As we come to the end of this episode, I'd love to hear what you're taking from this show. Please jump over to EmpathicMasteryShow.com to leave your comments. In the show notes, you'll find a link to grab your copy of My Empathic Safety Guide, Three Basics for Finding Calm in the Eye of the Storm, and 
While you're there, please subscribe and follow this show. And thank you for your help sharing this show with the people who need it. Please help me to spread the word and send this podcast to friends or family members who need support living as highly sensitive empathic people. Then join me again when the next Empathic Mastery show airs. Okay, one last time. Hop over to EmpathicMasteryShow.com for your empathic safety guide. And until next show, shine on. We need you and your gifts here on this planet. So please don't judge your empathic rainbow by colorblind standards.